You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the In the Dome podcast, podcast, podcast. All right, we said we'd have a guest. We got a guest. We're still, we're still in the analytic train. You will know this guy as Jay Fresh, um, absolute analytic beast. Probably what the best on social media. Or- oh, easily. I think he what he has done a really good job at in his like rise to prominence as an NHL analyst is he makes the analytics side of things easy to understand, easy to see both in his visual presentation and in his, how he explains things. Yeah. And it makes it really, if you're a hockey fan and you listen to him talks like dude knows his shit. He makes it accessible for the layman. Right. Yeah. And he even mentioned it. We talked about it before. It was interesting because remember when we had, um, Oh man, the name's slipping me. The goalie guy from Vancouver. Kevin, Kevin Woodley. Yeah, Kevin Woodley. He was saying the same thing about Markstrom yeah. that Jay Fresh was saying today, which is cool. That there's a subset of you know private analytics that the NHL clubs have that the public does not have access to. But you have a guy like Jay Fresh do the work he is, um, making it totally accessible. I mean, very easy to learn if you're just getting started in analytics, which is good because there's no denying um you know, the impact that understanding analytics has in building a hockey team, even understanding your hockey team as a fan. So I agree. I mean, the work he's done is, is actually kind of bridge the gap between total noobs and, you know, understanding how these NHL clubs operate. Yeah. And he has some really good insights on the flames. Like, honestly, he, I'm feeling kind of good right now, actually. Yeah. I'm excited now. (laughs) Well, Well, yeah, maybe we're not that bad. Maybe the top six can make it happen. So we uh, we get into a lot of conversation with Jay Fresh today, mostly Flames related. And um, you can hear his breakdown of the team and some specific players that probably we all have some questions about, as well as where he sees us. Spoiler alert, above the Oilers finishing in the season. So enjoy this conversation with Jay Fresh, everybody. Hey, everybody. We are stoked to be joined today by Mr. Jack Fraser. You know him as Jay Fresh. He writes for EP Ringside. If you're a fan of the show, you're no doubt familiar with his work. Jack, before we get into some uh, wonderful discussion about Erica Branson, uh, tell us about your your uh, status as a Penguins fan. And I did want to just get your thoughts on the amazing, famous Kenny Augustino, Ben Hanowski for Jerome McGinley trade back in 2013. Yeah, see, that's a very fond memory for me, even if it probably isn't for you guys. Like, I remember 
reading, you know, kind of going to bed the night before, knowing that he was about to get traded to the Bruins, waking up in the morning, kind of seeing the HF boards trade thread and reading through a couple posts, thinking that they were talking about the Bruins. Because, I mean, I didn't know who Kenny Agostino and Ben <laughs> were, even as a hardcore Penguins fan. And then kind of realizing that all this conversation didn't really add up about the Bruins and then scrolling to the top of the thread and seeing that it was Calgary slash Pitt and not Calgary slash Boston and pretty much freaking out. Like it was not something that I had thought was even a possibility. I wore my Penguins jersey to school, all that kind of stuff. So it was ultimately super disappointed how it ended with uh, Aginla playing third line left wing in the conference finals. But uh, it was definitely one of the more kind of in the moment crazy parts of being a Penguins fan, especially in those kind of wilderness spells my years when they really weren't living up to expectations. Yeah. For the record, we still don't know who those players are. So, <laughs> well, no, Ben Hanowski played a game. He was really good. doesn't Kenny Augustino play for the blues or something now. I can't even remember. I think he I, played a couple. He played around for a while. I remember being like super, um, just super uh, like protective of Jerome when they, went to the penguins and I'm like oh man i hope he's really good i hope he doesn't let them down and i mean he was okay there he was in the twilight of his career but yeah that's a that's a sore spot memory and well at least morgan klimchuk panned out so oh right morgan klimchuk that's right the great draft of jay feaster that's oh man trip down memory lane i love it all right so flames talk uh, i mean it's always interesting to get a bit of a perspective outside of the outside of the fan echo chamber slash bubbles. So how much do you kind of, uh, are you aware of the perpetual like mediocrity of the flames as much as we are? Yeah. I think that that is kind of what the vibe is around the league on the flames right now. Uh, that they're just kind of, they've become one of those teams that's just kind of there. Uh, it's, you know, they're, they don't really have like a, massive downward trajectory and that I don't think a lot of people think they're going to be like in the lottery. Uh, and, and I think if they are, then they're probably not paying quite as much attention to this team as, as they maybe should be. But yeah, I mean, they are really kind of just desperately throwing anything at the wall to keep from falling into that area. So, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to be super, super optimistic on this team. I'm probably higher on them than most people are to be quite honest with you. Uh, but even then, when I look at the direction of this team overall and what their outlook is, I don't know if I would be particularly enthusiastic about it. So tell us, tell us why you have some sort of um, optimistic eyes on us. We're curious to know. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, so I have a, you know, standings projection simulator uh, thing set up which has throughout the summer and and up until now had the Flames as a playoff team. And, you know, uh, kind of in the 95 point range playoff team, like not a super enthusiastic one, but kind of enough to get by. And people are often super surprised at that. That's kind of one of the projections that leads people to look at the model and say, okay, well, the model's broken because it has the bank or the Flames in the playoffs. Uh, and, And the main reason for that is just, you know, even if, their star players may not be getting the headlines that they were before. Like they still do have some very good players on the roster. Like Johnny Gaudreau, I feel like has become one of like shockingly one of the most underrated players in the league in the past two seasons, just because he's not scoring, you know, 36 goals and hundred points anymore. Like he's still a really great player. And I think people completely overlook him at this point. 
Uh, you look at guys like uh, Elias Lindholm, like uh, Andrew Mangiapane, who everybody I think agreed had kind of broken out and was doing amazingly last season and then promptly completely forgot about this summer. Uh, you look at what Chris Tanev did last season, which, you know, he was one of the best defensemen in the league. Uh, you look at, you know, guys like Rasmus Anderson, who I think have a lot of space to bounce back from what was, I think, a pretty solid upward uh, trajectory up until that point and then fell off. And then uh, Jacob Markstrom as well. Uh, You know, I think that there are guys who maybe had off seasons last year who could bounce back. Uh, And even if there are obviously big flaws with this roster, I think that it's still a a pretty solid middle-of-the-pack team. And in a division like the Pacific, I don't think it's really that far out of the question that they could end up making the playoffs, even if I don't think they're going to make a lot of noise if they get there. Yeah. So there's a few uh, player questions we have for you. I mean, firstly, uh, I think it it really is interesting to look at the Chris Tanev season. I mean, cause I, when he signed that deal, I was up in arms. A lot of people were up in arms and then he has this like historic defensive season from your perspective. What, what chances do you give him to repeat the season he just had or come anywhere close to the season he just had? Because I mean, I'm still kind of a little nervous considering now he's not Mark Giordano is not on this team. What do you expect to see from Tanev this year in terms of what he's going to be able to provide defensively? Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think he's going to be what he was last year because you know, um, the vast majority of players aren't, especially ones who are his age. Uh, you know, but I still think that he, there's every reason to think that he'll still be a top pairing defensive defenseman. Uh, his defensive results were, have been, you know, consistently strong throughout his career. It was the offensive stuff that really kind of bumped up last year. And I think that's what kind of took his performance to the next level based on what it had been previously. And, you know, I, I've had the opportunity in the past week or so to kind of dig into some, you know, some manually tracked stats that aren't the ones that are really available to the public and Tanev looks really good in those, you know, he was completing passes at a super, super high rate. Uh, He was one of the most kind of involved defensemen in terms of transition play, which is definitely not something that he had been previously in his career. Uh, And and I think maybe he got an opportunity to open up his game in Calgary a little bit more than he ever did in Vancouver, just because he was so focused in Vancouver on just staunching the defensive bleeding throughout his entire career on teams that had very little defensive structure. So, you know, it it might be something that he's able to keep up, but at the very least, I think that he displayed last year that kind of rumors of his downward decline that I think would led most of us and and myself included to think that that contract was a disaster from the outset uh, to, you know, maybe change our minds a little bit on it. So, you know, even if he's not necessarily the star that he was last year. I mean, the, the projection in question uh, that I have is, is based on kind of a regression a little bit, uh, not to mention kind of age-related decline as well. And, and even then, he still grades out quite well. So I, I would expect him to still at least be a very solid contributor. Well, you talk about his, uh, his defensive pairing, at least around the second half of last season was Geo. Everybody knows we lost Geo at the expansion draft. Um, just from a management perspective, how would you have handled that situation? There's a lot of Flames fans are pretty sour about how it just kind of seemed like Brad didn't really take it seriously enough. And at the end of the day, he's gone now. 
Um, we wouldn't even be surprised if we pick him up at the deadline and pay for him what we were going to pay to protect him in the first place. Um, what do you think you would have done? We also were thinking potentially maybe you exposed Tanev. Which route would you have gone? Yeah, you know what? All things considered, I probably would have let Jordano go in that situation. You know, that's what I was expecting them to do, and, and that's what I was saying that I that I thought that they should do. Obviously, it hurts quite a bit to lose, you know, not only a player of, of Jordano's caliber, and, you know, even in a down season, he was still, I think, a pretty solid top-pairing guy last year. Uh, but obviously, you know, he's the kind of franchise icon at this point, your captain, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I think all things considered, and, and with how Tan have played last season, uh, I, I think that they really didn't have much of a choice on the blue line to, uh, I, unless they were going to pay assets, like you said, to, to keep them around. And, and with the way that this team is right now, I just don't think it would have made sense for them to to add on assets to maybe you know sneak this team into the playoffs or sneak this team into a slightly higher playoff spot uh, from Jordano being on the roster. So. You know, they're kind of one of those teams that really had to take a hit in the expansion draft, and, and that's unfortunate. But I think we learned from uh, the Vegas draft that in some cases it's just better to, you know, take the medicine and, and take the hit and, and hopefully try to, you know, deal with your new settings and, and cap space and opportunity and stuff in a, in a way that makes the team better, which, you know, I'm not necessarily sure that they did. But uh, I, I think that ultimately they probably made the least bad decision there. Okay. So last week, Brad Schilling goes out and re-signs Michael Stone. He also signs Eric Branson to a one-year, two-mil deal. We all, we're all really familiar with Stone. Um, what can you tell us about Branson? How bad is this guy? Yeah, he's not, he's not good. Uh, I don't think there's really any secret about that. Uh, throughout his career, I think that he has fulfilled basically the same role over and over again, which is big physical bottom pairing guy who gets caved in when he's on the ice, uh, regardless of where he's gone, who he's played with, which coaches he's played under that has been kind of the connective tissue throughout his career. Uh, and you know, it's, it's like that old saying goes, you know, it's better to play somebody who might be good than somebody who you know is bad. And teams have been consistently using good brands and as kind of the guy that they know is bad and can safely put him out there and have him be bad. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I wouldn't expect big things from him. I think the, the optimistic scenario would be just to hope that he doesn't play too much. Uh, but, yeah, those kind of bottom of the lineup signings for the Flames, I think, have ranged from from pretty good to not so good, and which I guess is always going to happen when you're kind of buying around for players to fill up those bottom lines. You know, you'll end up getting some guys who – actually look pretty solid. You'll end up getting some guys who just kind of fit physical boxes. Uh, but Good Branson is definitely a guy that I would not have targeted based not only on the stats, but on my experience watching him play for the Penguins uh, a couple of years ago. So yeah, it sounds it like... Be, it seems to be Brad's MO, just acquiring the infinity gauntlet of seventh defenseman and 13th forward season after season after season. Um, but we have a theory on it. I don't know if you've seen it, but Brian Burke's playbook's out. Um, it looks like Brad Trulitic's following the formula. Have you seen the playbook? What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I actually read that book pretty recently when uh, he got hired by the Penguins. I have definitely some skepticism about the uh, his formula, <laughs> uh, especially kind of the way that he delegates different player types to different like handedness, 
like how he needs his right-handed guy to do certain things and his left-handed guy to do certain things. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there's, there's no doubt that uh, I mean, and I'm sure that, you know, if it's not for living, who's driving the bus there, I'm sure that Daryl Sutter probably has similar philosophies in terms of physicality that he wants to the bottom of the lineup. And, you know, he got good results out of it a while ago. So maybe he knows something that, that we don't, but yeah, it was definitely familiar when I, when I read it. So yeah, the specificity of uh, just uh, like you said, whether it be a right hand shot or a left hand shot, is pretty comical. Actually, he must have he must have just had a vision one day on the shitter or something. Eh? Yeah, well, I, I'm sure that it's you know based on his experiences. So I'm sure like if you probably took the 2007 Ducks, you could probably graph them onto that uh, onto that formula pretty well. But yeah. uh, it it really seems like a kind of weirdly inflexible thing to impose on yourself as a general manager when you know really you should be kind of building around whoever you can get you know what happens if you take a job and it turns out that you know your left-handed defenseman is the one who can move the puck and etc etc so it seems strange to me but but what do i know yeah it's weird the flames and penguins are linked by burke too i kind of kind of forgot about that um we've kind of forgot about brian burke in calgary because that was a bit of a nightmare um i did want to get your thoughts on blake coleman i know he is a guy you've written about uh, pretty extensively over at EP ringside or on your blog as well. Um, what can you tell us about Blake Coleman? What's he going to bring? And I think the most important question is how is the contract going to play out in a way that's not terrible? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I really like Blake Coleman. I've written about him, like you said, a whole bunch. I've obviously, you know, any hockey fan has watched him play quite a bit in the past two playoffs. And, and I think, it's hard to watch him and come away with any conclusion other than that he's one of the better kind of energy forecheck speedsters in the league. Uh, he's a really effective defensive player, not only because of the pressure that he's able to put when he's defending in zone uh, and the threat that he constantly imposes on opposing defenses because he can, you know, he can race past them and, and score on the breakaway, uh, but also because he's just such a tenacious forechecker. Really, whatever kind of role you put him in, when it comes to puck recovery, puck battling, you know, being the second guy in or the first guy in, you know, he's able to do it because he has that combo of speed and strength to really recover pucks. And then unlike a lot of guys who play that role in the league, I think because he's not only speedy, but he also can finish. Uh, I think that that makes him an offensive weapon that other teams have to respect as well. So like, I, I am super high on the player. Uh, I think he's a very effective, you know, second liner, Obviously, it was a luxury for the Lightning to have him as their third line right wing. Uh, how that's going to age, I am obviously, I think, as most people would be, not quite as optimistic just because, you know, like the physical attributes really are kind of the ball game with him. Uh, you know, I'm not to say that he's like a low hockey IQ player, but, you know, it's really not kind of a cerebral game that he plays. And it's the kind of game that you could definitely envision getting slowed down with injuries and age and things like that. Uh, I, I would have preferred that he wind up on a team whose window was right now, like who could be competing for cups right now, uh, because, you know, in, in the case of the Flames, I don't really see them as a team that's going to be fighting for a Stanley Cup in the next three years. And then by the time that contract starts to sour, I think maybe that might be the time that the Flames are, ready to kind of go on to the next stage in their development. So 
I, I think that you guys will really enjoy watching him in the short term, at least. Uh, but there are questions about how he really fits into what this team is moving forward. Yeah, we've been clamoring for a while for a top six edition. We finally get one. Too bad we lose our best defenseman in the process. But um, I'm curious if you looked at any line combinations, whether it be in your model or whatnot, how do you see the, or the top six is, is going to be one of the better attributes of this team. Do you have any preference? Like, would you put uh, Monaghan over Backlund or vice versa in the top six? We're thinking potentially Mangiapane and Coleman are wingers together. And then you stick with uh, the Monty or sorry, the, the Johnny and um, Lindholm Chucky line is the top, top line. Yeah. I think that that probably makes quite a bit of sense. Uh, I, I wouldn't put, draw with Monaghan at least for the time being just because I think that Monaghan has turned into a little bit of an anchor uh, in the past couple of years. I think he's really kind of taken a step backwards and you'd rather that he not take draw with him. Uh, yeah, I, I mean you know, Manjipani playing with him and whether it's uh, you know, playing with Monaghan or with Backlund in the middle, I think that that would probably be a pretty good analogy to what they did in Tampa Bay. Uh, and, you know, like Coleman has never been a guy who has played with stars. You know, he has always been kind of a guy who's played with more, you know, meat and potatoes, kind of hardworking type players, uh, whether it was kind of the, the buzzing four checkers that he played with in uh, Tampa or whether he was playing with guys like Travis Zajac uh, in uh, New Jersey. Like He's not a guy who necessarily has a lot of experience being put in a situation like if he was playing you know alongside Johnny Gaudreau or something like that so I think that he could definitely be an effective player alongside a guy like Manjipani and whether you want to go more offense focused and put Monahan there or if you want to go more defense focused and put Backlund there I think that you have a bit of flexibility uh, but he's, he's definitely a guy who I think could you know subtly drive a line on his own even if he isn't you know, a, a play creator in the same way that that Goudreau is. Yeah, we're definitely excited to see what this guy can do next season. He touched on Monaghan. I mean, we've been trying to figure out what's going on. We think maybe a lot of his injuries and maybe coaching style over the past one and a half seasons with with Jeff Ward and, and you know, the, all the, the shifting that the organization did from trying to score goals, which apparently didn't work in 1819. So they wanted to be a more defensive team. Um, I don't know. The guy is still young. He's what, 24, 25? Uh, it's weird to see this drop off. Do you have any insight into what's wrong with Monaghan? Yeah, the Monaghan thing has been something that has kind of eluded me a little bit. Uh, I haven't really focused in on it, but it has seemed to be kind of a, a pretty steady thing from what I've heard from Flames people that I respect. And also, you know, I think uh, Jack Hahn, who's a, another hockey writer, I think has looked into it and, and saw some issues with the way Monahan was playing, but you know, from a fundamental perspective, Monahan really isn't a good defensive player uh, in terms of preventing scoring chances when he's on the ice. And I think that when you have a player like that, uh, and then you focus him more on playing defensively, a lot of the time what you see is that the defensive numbers don't improve a whole lot, but the offense drops precipitously. Yeah. And I think that might be what's happening here, where you know somebody is trying to get him to change his game and, and be more of a conscientious two-way player. And the actual result of that is that it's limiting the stuff that he's actually good at in terms of injuries and things like that. You know, I can't speak to that maybe as much as, you know, Flames fans who are watching all 82 games can, but uh, 
it, it wouldn't surprise me if that was a factor there as well. But the, the real kind of fact of the matter is that with the contract that he's got and the position that he occupies on that team, they either have to figure out a way to move him or figure out a way to make it work with him because, you know, they're, they are more than likely kind of stuck with him there. And if they are serious about turning the ship around really quickly and starting to contend again, then they're going to need to figure that out quick because he, he's a big part of their team and, and he was a big part of their success before. And, and he would need to be if they want to really compete. Yeah. Curious to hear your thoughts on, you mentioned Markstrom. Um, he is kind of a bit of a, not polarizing, but a topic of discussion in Calgary just because his contract is so big and he's kind of been heralded as the, as the savior in net after, you know, we've had Brian Elliott and Chad Johnson and Mike Smith and David Riddick. So I don't know. I, I was a little, I wasn't skeptical, but I was a little nervous about giving him that big of a contract just from the data I've seen and watching him. I wasn't a hundred percent sure he was worth it. Is he overrated, underrated, where does he fit in your model? He struggled last year because he was overplayed and injured. He looked really good at times. Could you give us a, a little bit of a thought on, on Jacob Markstrom? Yeah, Markstrom is tough. I mean, you know, all goalies are obviously tough. And yeah. Markstrom can go out and win the Vezina this year for all we know. But uh, when he was with Vancouver, he was a guy who the public models were kind of in agreement that he was kind of a – you know, top 10 starter, you know, maybe in that like 10, 11 range and, and that he had been for a couple of years. Uh, you'd have private models that would say that the Canucks were worse defensively than the public models could measure and that he was kind of keeping the minute. And there were discussions about, you know, oh, their goaltending coach, uh, Ian Clark, worked with him very carefully and he was kind of a, a guru that got him to really change his game and everything. And then he comes to Calgary and I think that he was just a little bit worse. You know, he was average below average, but definitely not the kind of goalie that they were expecting for that amount of money that they were spending to really solidify the position. And meanwhile, you know, Thatcher Demko over in Vancouver basically puts up the exact results that Markstrom had the year previously. So there is kind of the pessimistic perspective that might say, okay, it really was the goaltending coach uh, and, and Markstrom was, just kind of an okay goalie who was getting propped up by really good goalie coaching, which is now benefiting Thatcher Demko. Uh, or on the other hand, it might have just been, you know, new environment, new team, new setting, bit of an off season. That's how goaltending goes and recovering from some injuries, uh, in which case he might come back this year and, and, and perform really well. Uh, if I had to, to bet on it, uh, which I would never want to with anything about goaltending, I would probably say that he's, closer to an average goalie, maybe kind of in that 10 to 15 range among starters than a real kind of game stealing star. But uh, again, it's also varied that, that it's impossible to really know for sure. The flames pick up a, a new backup in Dan Vladar. Can you tell us anything about him and what are your thoughts on just the tandem as a whole this season? Yeah, I don't really have any thoughts on, uh, on this guy. You know, I think he hasn't played uh, enough for my, for the predictive model to really have anything on him. I think he's just kind of estimated as a replacement level goalie, which you would expect from a guy who doesn't have a lot of NHL experience. Uh, yeah. You know, in, in terms of the tandem, I think it all will just rely on how much they can lean on Markstrom because I, I think Vladar is probably not going to be a big difference maker and it will all kind of rely on whether Markstrom is a legit proper, you know, top end number one goalie, 
or if he's just kind of in that middle of the pack range, or, you know, if he struggles a bit, in, in which case, you know, if, if Markstrom can't be at least kind of a above expected goalie this year, I think that the Flames chances of making the playoffs will be very low. So I would, uh, I would hope that Markstrom turns it around because otherwise that tandem could immolate pretty quickly. Yeah. The last player we wanted to touch on was uh, Lindholm. I know you mentioned him. There's this weird thing in Calgary where you either appreciate Johnny Gaudreau or you don't like him. So um, in that same vein, a lot of people will argue that Lindholm is a better player. Um, sure. If you want to look at defensive uh, metrics, maybe you have an argument, but um, we'll kept, what, what is your model? What do you think about Lindholm as a whole? Um, is he, is he really a one C is the main question. Yeah, it's it's tough to figure out exactly what the deals of Lindholm. I mean, like like you alluded to, you know, his numbers are are very strong uh, in terms of both his finishing ability, which is pretty top notch, and you know maybe some of it is elevated by the passes that Gaudreau gives him. But uh, you know, certainly that's a big strength of his game. He's a really efficient shooter. Uh, one thing that struck me when kind of looking at these more detailed stats this week is that uh, there's there's no player in the NHL who turns over the puck at a lower rate than Elias Lindholm. Like he ranks number one by a wow. pretty decent margin in that, uh, in that respect, which I, I would imagine, you know, especially uh, among your kind of more traditionalist fans, I'm sure that that would appeal to them quite a bit. Yeah. If you have a player like Johnny Gaudreau, who, who's maybe trying to do a little bit more, who maybe has more responsibilities for creating plays and is therefore losing the puck, uh, you know, a bit. And, you know, I think Gaudreau loses it probably at a pretty reasonable rate considering how much he has to do to create offense. Uh, but you have a guy like Lindholm who isn't, you know, maybe forced to do as much creative stuff with the puck, but who nonetheless just isn't turning it over at all pretty much. Uh, you know, those are all, I think, very good attributes to have. I think that there's every chance that he could be a, a solid number one center. Uh, I, I mean, I, I certainly have him in, in the model right now as a first liner. Uh, that obviously, you know, people can disagree about whether being a first line forward is the same as being a number one center. I know that definitions of that kind of vary, but uh, I, I'm, I'm very high on the player. I think he's probably underrated by a lot of people. And uh, if they can kind of keep that consistent line of Kachuk and, and Lindholm and Gaudreau throughout the season, I, you know, that seems like a pretty damn good trio to me. So yeah. uh, I, could be encouraging for their playoff chances. Cool. Okay, just a couple more questions before we rip into the Oilers a bit. Um, the uh, if you look at what this, what this team has done since eighteen nineteen, when they were a scoring team, even though the coaching staff alluded to they tried to be a scoring team, so that's why they switched into this defensive style play. Now we have Daryl Sutter. Um, some people sometimes we even do it. We try and look at like what team are, do we are we trying to be like? We look around the league. Maybe it's the Islanders that you actually had some success with a with a really good head coach, more defensive style. Do you think the Flames compare to the Islanders? Um, I'm not sure if any models can tell you that, but what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's so that is an interesting comparison. I mean, the thing about the Islanders is that the Islanders tend to not undertrot, uh, have tended to not do that well in the regular season or they do well in the regular season and then kind of fall off. And then, so they end up as kind of a lower seed and then they end up performing really, really well in the playoffs. Uh, whereas with the Flames, the question is whether they can get to the playoffs in the first place. 
which kind of makes it a little bit hard to make that evaluation. Um, you know, kind of surprisingly considering how a lot of people talk about him, everything that I've seen in terms of, you know, attempts to analytically measure coaching impact have come out really positive on Daryl Sutter. You know, he might be an old school guy. He might, you know, rely on things like physicality and, you know, anything that he kind of adds in terms of benefit, in terms of the system that he deploys when he's on the ice might be sabotaged by the players that the Flames acquire to make him happy. You know, the, the lack of quality in guys that they get to cater to him might be undoing whatever good that he's doing defensively with his system. But, you know, nonetheless, uh, if that does turn out to be the case, you know, if we have a, a, a full season of Sutter having that kind of positive systematic impact on the Flames defensive game, especially, then I think that a comparison could be made. I think a lot of people are overlooking the fact that the Flames were actually not that bad last year. I think a lot of people saw that they didn't make the playoffs. They see the trajectory of this team. They glance at the roster and they say, okay, this team is, is not good at all. Um, you know, analytically speaking at five on five in terms of expected goals and shot attempts and, and even goals at five on five, you know, they were better than a lot of teams that made the playoffs last year and they lose Gaudreau or they lose that Giordano. Sorry. Uh, they add, uh, uh they just add had a heart, I just had a heart attack. Yeah. When you said that I was like, what? Yeah, no, they, <laughs> they lose Giordano. They add, uh, Coleman, they make some other additions, some good, some bad. You know, in, in the grand scheme of things, you know, there's a reason that I think that they could sneak into the playoffs as a lower seed and how they compare to a team like the Islanders will kind of depend on both how they do that and what happens if they do get into that situation and how players like Johnny Gaudreau, who don't really fit into what you might, you know, expect from that, you know, can they kind of do a Matthew Barzell type of thing where they can integrate their more skill-oriented game into a more stingy defensive system. You know, that that remains to be seen. Uh, but if they are like the Islanders, then ultimately, while the roster looks on paper, won't matter nearly as much as how they can kind of fit into the system. Cool. Um, let's, assuming Vegas is going to finish first in the Pacific, give us your power rankings for two, three, four. Do Do both Vancouver... Do the Canadian teams all all finish two, three, four? Assuming Jack Eichel doesn't go to LA, which maybe he does, but assuming for now that he doesn't, where do you where do you rank these Canadian teams in the Pacific? Yeah, that's a tricky one. So, so the, I'll, I'll tell you right now. So the way that the the roster builder simulator thing has it, you know, is is projecting things to go. It's Vegas, and then Calgary, and then Seattle, and then Edmonton. And then missing the playoffs is Vancouver, LA, San Jose, and uh, Anaheim right at the bottom. Uh, with recognizing that kind of in that, you know, projection, Seattle, Calgary, Edmonton, and Vancouver are all basically within five points of one another, if, if not less than that. So, you know, what I would take away from that, considering kind of how these projections usually tend to work out, is that it really is kind of a complete toss-up, everything that happens between Vegas and probably San Jose. Uh, you know, throw it into the blender when it comes to injuries, and goaltending, and breakouts and stuff like that. You know, would I be super confident that Seattle's going to make it? 
probably less than the other ones, just because that's such a defense oriented team. And so much of that kind of gets thrown up in the air when you're talking about all these guys coming into a system where they have a totally new coach. Uh, you know, they've kind of gone all in on these super defensive low event kinds of players. And I don't know how that will translate with Vancouver. Like their defense is so bad, yeah. uh, at, at least on paper. And, and based on what we've seen from that group in the past. And when you combine it with how bad the Vancouver system has been defensively since Travis Green became the coach, I, no matter what kind of offensive firepower they have, no matter what goaltending they have, I have a really hard time kind of confidently saying that they're going to make playoffs. And then when it comes to Edmonton, who I guess we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about, you know, in a similar situation, you know, I really don't like the changes that they made with the offseason, given the flexibility that the cap gave them. And, uh, but at the same time, it's, it's hard to really bet against, you know, this version of McDavid and Dreisaitl missing the playoffs in a division as weak as the Pacific. So that's kind of where I land right now, but it's, it's all really kind of an up in the air situation as I think most of the standings are this coming into the season. Yeah. We're always usually pretty depressed as flames fans, but when we look up North, that seems to be our only solace is that they're not much better. Um, what, what would you, what were your thoughts on the defensive acquisition as a whole with the, the shifts that the Oilers made? Can you, um, can you make us feel a little bit better? And um, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. He's got me cheered up here, man. And my last question for you would be, can you, could you score on Mike Smith's five hole in a breakaway? <laughs> well, I've, I've hit the post about four times in my last two men's league games. So I feel like I wouldn't be too confident about that. And I was aiming dead center on all of them. So <laughs> we'll, uh, so I'll, I'll pass on that one, but the, uh, you know, literally I'll probably pass it to somebody else. Uh, but in terms of the, the Oilers thing, I mean, you know, the, the solace that Flames fans can get at least is that, you know, I think missing out on really contending for the Cup during John Johnny Gaudreau's window, which is obviously a, a bummer. It's not nearly as much of a bummer as it would be for the Oilers to not get out of the second round during McDavid's prime, which is kind of currently what they've been doing. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, the Oilers kind of had a, a once in a contention window opportunity to basically enter the offseason with as clean a cap sheet as you could really hope for. You know, they had something like $20 million in cap space during a flat cap environment where teams were scrambling around uh, to, you know, you know, with, with very little cap space to work with. And I think what they ultimately did with it was a pretty huge wasted opportunity. Uh, they brought in Duncan Keith, obviously at full salary, you know, they paid assets to get him. Uh, you know, Duncan Keith has certainly some skills that uh, will probably be on display with the Oilers. I think he's still like a good passer. He's still a relatively creative player. But I, I think that the degradation of his skating and his agility and his ability to kind of defend the zone uh, has really fallen off in the past couple seasons where he's been relied on super heavily. And I just don't think that that was the guy that they should have targeted as their second left defenseman. Uh, same thing with CeCe, who was okay for the Penguins, but you know, really, I think got the benefit of super, super low expectations. And when he didn't kind of immediately immolate upon hitting the ice, I think a lot of penguins people were maybe over enthusiastic about his performance, which was okay. But again, not someone that you'd really want to hang your hat on as your top four right defenseman. Uh, and, and then, you know, they invest in Barry. They don't pay too much for him, which I guess is better than the alternative, but you know, he continues to be arguably the worst defensive player in the NHL, uh, which is 
Uh, you know, even if he's scoring you a bunch of points on the power play and a bunch of secondary assists from passing the puck to McDavid, you know, and I wouldn't be too enthusiastic about that. So, you know, even if they did make some good changes offensively, adding Warren Fogel and Zach Hyman and Derek Ryan, you know, all moves that I like, at least in terms of their impact right away, you know, their, their weakness has always been defensive and in keeping pucks out of the net. And when you add up, I, I think the defense being pretty significantly weakened with the fact that you're going to roll with Koskinen and then, you know, Mike Smith do like, it kind of took a bit of a miracle bounce back season last year from him for the Oilers to together a special season. If that falls off, I mean, he's like 40 years old now. I would not be too, too confident in the Oilers as being kind of the top tier team that a lot of people envision them as. That's a bit of a mic drop right there, man. Last question. For, last question for you. If the Flames and Oilers are playing a seven game playoff series, who are you taking and in how many games? Right, right uh, now. This is not binding in any, in any, in any way. I would probably take, I think I would take the Flames in you seven games in a, in, a, in a triple overtime <laughs> game. Which uh, I'm not super confident in that, and I hope that I, I might add more overtimes just to uh, cover my ass a little bit more. But I really think that is a lot of people kind of are understating how much of a toss up it might be between those two teams. Uh, but of course, with everything like goaltending and injuries and everything, that might end up being a very silly looking prophecy by the end of the season. But uh, but we'll see. Yeah, we think Sutter might give us the slight edge in terms of. I don't know. We've they've been the better team the last two, three seasons. So we'll see what happens this season. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, uh, thanks a lot. We appreciate your time. Your insights are great. Um, you're over at EP Ringside. You're on Twitter. I know you're on the uh, PDO cast a lot. Anywhere else people can find you? Yeah. If people have checked out my stuff on Twitter, they like the visualizations and stuff. Uh, I also have a Patreon where they can pay five bucks a month to have full access to all of them. And, uh, and hopefully... Uh, the plan is to have a, a site up by the beginning of the season that will host everything. So okay. big stuff ahead. Sweet. Thanks, Jack. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, man. That was awesome. Hey, folks. The In The Dome podcast is brought to you by DraftKings. And this week, we're sponsored by DraftKings Sportsbook, only available in the States. So if you're in the United States, listen up. If you don't want to miss this, week one may be over, but the season's just getting started in the NFL. To kick off week two, DraftKings is giving new customers $200 in free bets instantly. Head over to the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, place a bet of $1 on any week two game to receive $200 in free bets instantly. If Sportsbook's not available in your state, DraftKings still has huge cash prizes up for grabs with their daily fantasy contests. DraftKings is giving new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game. That's promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Got a gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. There you have it, folks. Jay Fresh. Um, I think you mentioned this, but super impressed with his Flames knowledge as, uh, as not even a Flames fan. I mean, this this guy knows, he knows his shit. I guess that means his models work. 
dude, he knows his shit hardcore. Like we were just like busting through. Tell us about Markstrom. Tell us about Lindholm. Tell us about Monahan. He's just like right on it. So dude dialed in. Um, I got to say like, it was, it's some good insights on some guys that um, like Lindholm. I thought those he had some really good thoughts on Lindholm, but I had some really good thoughts on Jacob Markstrom. Like you said, off the top of this, Chris Tanev as well. Some really good information. And yeah, maybe this top six can, maybe this top six and Daryl Sutter can, can <laughs> take us to the playoffs. Maybe. Could you just imagine though, if no nuts could have made Eichel happen. Oh, you yeah. would have had Johnny Kachuk Eichel as your top line and Lindholm centering Coleman, Coleman and, and Manjapani. That's a, that's a contending team. Dude. What would you need Monahan for? You don't need him. Fucking trade him. Well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, starts tonight, uh, October 12th. Sean, you don't play here anymore. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Anything else related from the discussion? I mean, we talked about the Oilers. Um, he he confirms the, how bad the defense is in, in Vancouver. I don't know. I think the Oilers will be an interesting team to watch because it's just going to be a goal-scoring fucking battle every single night. It's they have, Anything, they, yeah. They're not going to be able to prevent many goals, and they're going to be able to score goals. Like, isn't isn't whoever plays if they make the playoffs, which they probably will, but like isn't the playbook just gonna be exactly what Winnipeg did to them? Like you know how to stop the Oilers. Like you just don't allow seven goals. Man, and then he brings it up, the whole Mike Smith factor. He had a huge bounce back season. We saw him have one bounce back season here in Calgary, followed by an absolute atrocious season. So if uh he's gonna repeat history, this team could be a tire fire, dude. It could be. It would be, oh man, wouldn't it just be epic? Like, I was going to ask him, like, hey, does Connor McDavid play his whole career? <laughs> That's all I dream about is the day where the Oilers are so bad that McDavid requests a trade. It's funny, as either Oilers or Flames fans, it's this total psychological thing of like, if I'm going down, you're coming with me. <laughs> right. It's just like, I don't, even, honestly, if the Oilers miss the playoffs, I don't even give a fuck what happens to the Flames. I'll be so satisfied that they have the best player in the world. Don't even make the playoffs. I think we've talked about this. I almost enjoy seeing the Oilers lose, if not more so than I see enjoy watching the Flames win. Well, I know some of our podcast reviews are like, why do these guys look, talk about the Oilers so much? Some salty Oilers fans in our in our Apple podcast reviews, but that's why we <laughs> We love watching them lose almost as much, probably more than watching the Flames win. I've said it. I've, I got no problem hey, with look, that. If you're a real Oilers fan, you know why. You're the same. Yeah. Fucking hypocrite. <laughs> hey. Um, anything else you want to touch on in terms of uh, what Jay Fresh covered today? His model as a whole, analytics as a whole. No, I think his... If you, if you, I'm sure all of you, or most of you, I post a lot of them. You post a lot of them on Twitter and Instagram. Um, but if you kind of play around with the, with the standings prediction <clears throat> model, like the flame shouldn't make the playoffs, but my only concern is that, yeah, they should have made the playoffs last year too. So, well, if you didn't have a complete amateur with no goals and like he, like he mentioned, right? Like they were actually, and we've mentioned this a million times, like their numbers under Sutter. Yeah, their expected goal share well, was, to close out was the season, top three in the league. To close out the season and even uh, expected goals against. Right? Yeah, like they were so, easily one of the best defensive teams in the entire league. I think they were third or fourth. They were playing some sound, sound hockey to, to round up the season, which I think is a good sign because yeah. you have 
you have a, a benchmark of where you where you you're expecting this team to start the season for once. And like I was just saying, Sutter comes in and clarifies that Ward has no goals to start the season for this team. Like they just flounder all season long under Ward, and then Daryl comes in and takes an adjustment, but they started playing good hockey. I think the 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 modus operandi if you're the Flames and you're Sutter is you start the season right where you left it off. And I know that that's what he's pushing anyways. So, huh, yeah, I mean, we're in a, a weak division. Let's just hope that uh, the LA Kings don't land Jai Keuchel, or if they do, it's later on in the season. But um, if you're looking at this division who we're playing, I think we probably are a playoff team. If um, if this team can even, you know, if, if this team could start the season for once on time, that's what I was going to say. If it was the first 10 games, you maybe, you know, win six of them instead of like, oh, the Flames really have to dig themselves out of a hole again. Again. It's just like, could you start the season on time for once? Would you? That's, that's could what you? killed them the last two years is they sucked for the first two, three months of the season. It's been two years of that. I love when these uh, professional guys come on and they just like have to be careful how much they, they rip into the players. Like, dude, the guy could definitely score a Mike Smith five hole. Come on. Eh? I, forgot, I forgot that Branson was in was in Pittsburgh for so long. He's guy gets around, eh? Wonder why. Wonder why. Okay, folks, uh, there you have it. Another another cool guest. Um, we'll probably be bringing you some uh, preseason kind of preparation in terms of what to expect uh, this upcoming season. What is it? Twenty twenty one twenty two. Is that what Sheesh. we're at now? Yeah. Back to the future, eh? So stay tuned for that. Hope you're enjoying the last uh, last few weeks of summer. We'll catch you soon. Hey, you made it. It's the end of the podcast. If you liked this episode, please do us a favor. Take a sec and leave a rating and review on the Apple Podcast. You can help us grow the audience some more unfortunate Flames fans to the show. So do it. Do it. Super easy. Just takes a second. Just tap on the show, scroll down, leave a rating slash review. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We will see you on the next one.